0: with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, in 1994, there were a couple of bodies found in Brentwood, California. It looked like it was a brutal slash and dash murder. Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman were killed in front of Nicole Brown Simpson's house in Brentwood. There was blood everywhere, and the prime suspect at the time was a former football player by the name of O.J. Simpson. Now, those of you who are as old as I am know who O.J. was. For those of you that are a little bit younger, you may not have heard of O.J., or if you have, you don't really know who he was. O.J. Simpson won a Heisman Trophy with the University of Southern California when he was in college. And then he went and played running back with the Buffalo Bills. In fact, um, he was so good as a Bills running back, he was one of the top running backs of all time. And one of the announcers on Monday Night Football years ago was a guy by the name of Howard Cosell. And those of you, again, who are old enough, know who I'm talking about. And Cosell would always say, because O.J. Simpson, of course, his nickname was The Juice, being O.J. And so Cosell would say stuff like, Miami has the oranges, but Buffalo has the juice. And then they'd show highlights of O.J. running through everybody. He was a great running back. But he was the prime suspect in this 1994 set of murders. Both occurred at the same time it appeared. And It went to trial, of course, and it turned out to be one of the trials of the century. And I'm going to give you some evidence that was presented at trial. And then I'm going to ask you a question. Here is some of the evidence presented at trial. O.J. Simpson's blood was at the scene of the crime. There is only a one in one hundred and seventy million chance that it really was not OJ's blood. So obviously it it really was OJ's blood. Now, this actually led to a couple of magazine covers. I think Newsweek had one called A Trail of Blood. It showed OJ on the cover and the title was Trail of Blood because literally there was a trail of blood from that crime scene all the way to OJ Simpson. The second piece of evidence, the blood of Ron Goldman, One of the murder victims, the blood of Nicole Brown Simpson, OJ's former wife, another murder victim. And OJ Simpson himself, his blood was found in OJ Simpson's white Bronco. And for those of you that can remember, OJ was trying to flee from the police at some point after the murders in his white Bronco. He was being driven by a friend of his. He apparently was in the backseat of this white Bronco. He had a gun. He threatened to kill himself he really looked guilty. He was fleeing at normal speed, but there were choppers over. And I mean, they were just trying to, trying to bring him into custody. He finally pulled over and they took him into custody. But his blood and the murder victims all over that Bronco. Number three, the bloody glove found at the scene of the crime had blood from all three, the two murder victims and O.J., and it matched the glove at O.J. Simpson's house. In fact, O.J. Simpson being retired from football at the time, was a sideline reporter for NFL games. And sometimes he'd be on the sideline holding a microphone and he'd be wearing gloves. Well, one of the gloves that he was wearing was found at the crime scene, drenched in blood, and the sister glove was found at his house. Number four, oh, by the way, for those of you who remember the trial, his uh, trial attorney, Johnny Cochran, um, had a great line because O.J. was going to try the glove on in the courtroom. And Johnny Cochran said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. Because if it doesn't fit O.J., he's not the killer, right? That's what he was trying to say. So O.J. tries to f- put this glove on. He has a surgical glove on, you know, one that doctors use when they operate or when, what you know, the ones that you're wearing now when you go to the department store. <laughs> anyway, um, He tries to put this glove on during the trial, and he's trying to get it on, and he quite can't get it on. Now, why can't he get it on? Number one, he had that surgical glove on. It made it more difficult to fit. Number two, the glove had shrunk from the blood, the dried blood in it. And number three, quite obviously, he didn't want to put it on, okay? (laughs) So number four, the fourth piece of evidence, was that the bloody footprints at the scene of the crime were from a rare brand of size 12 shoes that OJ Simpson owned. There were only 199 pairs of these shoes sold in the United States, and OJ had one of these pairs at his house. And number five, the fifth line of evidence, was that Nicole Brown Simpson's blood was found on OJ Simpson's socks. There's only a one in 21 billion chance, according to one lab, that that was not her blood. Okay, let me review. All three of the people involved, blood found at the crime scene. One in 70 million chance it's not O.J. Simpson's blood. All three found in Simpson's Bronco, the blood from all three. The glove at the scene had blood from all three and matched the glove at Simpson's house. The bloody footprints found at the crime scene were footprints from a rare brand of shoes that Simpson owned. And the blood found on Simpson's socks was Nicole Brown Simpson's blood. Only a one in 21 billion chance it wasn't her blood. Question. Was Simpson guilty of murder? Let me ask you a question a different way. What is the probability that this evidence would exist if OJ Simpson was not the murderer? Well, that was kind of the defense line of reasoning. OJ was framed. That's basically what they were saying. Really? Do you think that's a good explanation? How could all of this blood have been planted on OJ if he was framed? How could it be found in his house? How could it be found in his Bronco? How could it be found in his socks? Are you, are you saying the police were that corrupt? That somehow, and that inventive, that they somehow framed O.J. and put this blood everywhere. Doesn't seem likely. Doesn't even seem remotely likely. But that's what you're going to have to believe to say he's not the murderer. Again, what is the probability this evidence would exist if O.J. was not the murderer? You might be able to explain one line of evidence here to say, okay, that could have been planted. But all of it? And what motive did the... LAPD have to plant the, the blood. Look, everybody loved O.J. O.J. was a celebrity. O.J. was a movie star too. You know, those old uh, airplane movies, O.J. was in them. People loved O.J. Why would they want to frame him? And could they frame him with this vast amount of evidence? You know, you might, again, you might be able to explain one piece of evidence by another theory, but can you explain all of the evidence by that theory? That say the LAPD frame? No, I don't think you can. You see, when you're looking at a particular set of facts and you're trying to figure out what caused these particular set of facts, or you're looking at a bunch of evidence and you're trying to figure out what caused this evidence, you've got to have two things. You've got to have explanatory power and explanatory scope. Explanatory power asks, how well does your theory explain the data? And explanatory scope says, how well does your theory explain all of the data, not just one? Line of evidence, but all of the data. And look, OJ had a motive. He was jealous. He also had the means. He was strong, quite obviously, a former football player. Seems like OJ could have done this and he had the motive to do it. Now, what if somebody comes along and says, you know, I just lack a belief. OJ was the killer. And then you ask him and you go, okay, you you don't think it's OJ. Well, who do you think it was? And they go, Oh, well, I don't, I don't have to have a, a suspect. I just lack a belief it was O.J. Well, what, how do you explain all this evidence then? I don't have to explain it. I just lack a belief it was O.J. Would you take that to be a good detective if, if, a, if a detective said that? No, you would say, well, first of all, you got to explain why you don't think it's O.J. And secondly, you got to come up with somebody else or at least some other theory. And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the show. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go anywhere. welcome back to i don't have enough faith to be an atheist with frank turek on the american family radio network we're talking about evidence and we're talking about the situation with oj simpson who by the way for those of you that know the trial oj was ultimately acquitted of this crime Uh, he was found guilty in a civil trial later but it turned out when they interviewed the jury they realized and they interviewed the jury afterwards, that the jury was never going to convict O.J. If they had video of him doing it, they probably wouldn't have convicted him. I mean, that's how biased the jury was, which is why our friend Jay Warner Wallace, who is, you know, is a cold case homicide detective, says jury selection is the key to the outcome of the trial. You've got to get the right jury who's going to be fair and look at the evidence in a way that is fair to everybody in order to get the right outcome. And in that case, apparently, they did not have a fair trial. But the reason I asked the question before the break is, if someone comes along and says I lack a belief it was OJ, you'd have to give you'd have to say to them, okay, but how do you explain all this evidence, right? It, that's pointing directly to OJ. How do you explain it all? And if they say, well, I don't need to explain it, I just lack a belief in OJ, you'd say, well, you're really not doing your job. And this is what atheists, many of them, I can't speak for all of them, but many of them will say, I just lack a belief in God. And yet here we are as Christians coming forth with all this evidence that God exists, which we'll get to later in the program. We covered some of it a couple of weeks ago, but... We talk about, just for example, the cosmological argument. In fact, we covered that a couple of weeks ago, so I won't repeat it here. But space, matter, and time had a beginning. And there's evidence for this. We cover it all in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Even atheists are admitting that space, matter, and time had a beginning. So whatever created space, matter, and time would seem to not be made of space, matter, and time. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, and also intelligent to have a mind to choose to create. Now, that points to a being that we would call God. We don't know if it's the Christian God at this point, but it could be. So when you ask the atheists, well, how do you explain all this evidence? Sometimes they just say a lack of belief it's God. And, you know, one day we'll figure out a natural cause for all this, to which we respond. You'll never find a natural cause for all of nature. Nature is the effect, it can't be the cause. If nature had a beginning, whatever created nature can't be made of nature. Nature must trans- or the cause must transcend nature, in other words the cause must be supernature is what or what we would call supernatural. So just claiming to be a lack of belief, you know, I'm an atheist, I lack a belief in God, they say that now. First of all, let's unpack that claim a little bit. To lack a belief in God is just to say something about your psychological state. It's not to say something about the real world. I could say I lack a belief in materialism, which is what many atheists believe. But that wouldn't prove or disprove materialism. It would just tell you what my psychological state was. I'd have to give evidence that materialism was false if I thought it was false, okay? Just saying I lack a belief in materialism or I lack a belief in evolution doesn't say anything about whether or not evolution is true or not. It just explains my psychological state. Secondly, when people say I lack a belief in God, what I like to say is, okay, If you're going to define atheism that way, let's just take the definitions, or I should say the labels aside. And let me just ask you this question. Here's a proposition God exists. Question Do you agree with that proposition? Do you disagree with that proposition? Or are you in the middle going, I just don't know? I don't know if it's true or it's false. If you agree with that proposition, you're a theist, or at least a deist. If you disagree with that proposition you're an atheist and if you don't know you're an agnostic. So where are you? You're one of those three, right? Let's forget about call, you know, calling the you know what the definition of atheism is. Let's just ask that question and see what you say about it. God exists. Agree, disagree, don't know. If you agree, theist, disagree, atheist, don't know, agnostic. Can we at least agree on that? Okay, great. So if you have all this evidence and you're trying to find who committed the murder, you're going to ask somebody who is a detective, who do you think did it? Now, you don't have to come up with another explanation to say that O.J. didn't do it. You know, you don't have to find the true murderer to say O.J. is not guilty. But with all this evidence pointing to O.J.'s guilt, you really got to figure out how you can explain this evidence and say O.J. is not guilty. Now, suppose an atheist were to come along and see all this evidence for O.J.'s uh, being the murderer, and he says all this can be explained naturally. Actually, in fact, they weren't murders, despite the fact that there are knife cuts on all these people and stabbings. They died of natural causes. What would you say? You'd say, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. We don't see these kinds or these pieces of evidence coming from natural causes. You know, people don't just like run into a drawer of knives and all this happens right? It wasn't an accident. Natural laws don't put cuts in people like this. There aren't footprints around. There's not blood from a third party around. This can't be a natural cause. This is quite obviously a homicide. So it can't be explained naturally. Yet atheists will try and say, well, the whole universe can be explained naturally when it had a beginning and it had a fine-tuned beginning, which seems to imply that whatever caused the universe is also intelligent. In fact, we're getting into fine-tuning here in a minute. So you can't say it can be explained all naturally. Or what if someone comes along and sees all the evidence for these two murders and says, actually, there was no cause. The bodies, the bodies got that way without a cause. It wasn't even natural causes. It was just no cause. You'd say, oh, come on. Really? No cause? Some are saying that the universe exploded into being out of nothing, no cause, it just happened. You wouldn't expect that or you wouldn't accept that for the OJ Simpson murders and you wouldn't accept that, you shouldn't accept it therefore for the creation of the universe or some of the other evidence that we're gonna get into because murders don't happen without a cause. Creations don't happen without a creator. Design doesn't happen without a designer. Laws don't come about without lawgivers. And if you want to say that you can have murder without a cause, creation without a creator, design without a designer, laws without a lawgiver, then the burden of proofs on you. Because all the counter evidence suggests just the opposite, that things have causes And if you're going to do away with causes, you're going to have to do away with all science because science is built on finding cause and effect. That's what you do when you're doing science. You're trying to figure out what particular cause caused a particular effect. And if you're going to say that effects can arise without causes, then you might as well just give up on all science. And yet, atheists are supposed to be champions of science. Turns out you can't do science without certain metaphysical principles, which seems to imply there's a cause behind those metaphysical principles, some metaphysical being perhaps, and we're going to get into that here shortly. Now, let me go back to all that evidence for O.J. When you see all the evidence, you know, about one in 170 million and one in 21 billion and the shoes found, the glove found, the blood found for all three everywhere, does science show that O.J.'s guilty? I mean, one in 170 million, one in 121 million, or one in 21 million, I mean, does science show he's guilty? Now, be careful how you answer here, because the answer is no. Not because I think OJ was innocent, but because science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. See, science doesn't say a word. In order for science to be done, you need human beings to gather data and then interpret the data. And that's done in the mind. Science is more done in the mind than in the lab. If there were no human beings, there would be no such thing as science. So science doesn't say a word, scientists do. By the way, you ever notice why you get conflicting scientific advice regarding COVID? Why is that? Because science doesn't say a word, scientists say things. And sometimes they have different data. And so they come to different conclusions. Or sometimes they have the same data, but they interpret the data differently. So they come to different conclusions. Sometimes this is based on good philosophical principles, and sometimes it's based on bad philosophical principles. In any event, science doesn't say anything scientists do. So as soon as an atheist says, well, science says this or science says that, you want to stop them and say, no, science actually doesn't say anything. It's scientists who say things. Now, if somebody says, look, well, science says that there are two parts Uh, two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen gives you water, okay, you're going to forgive the imprecision imprecision if he says that, because that's something you can repeat over and over again, and it's a well-established scientific fact that that's the case. But it might not be so well established that say, in fact, it's not scientifically, that life came from non-life without intelligent intervention. In fact, even honest atheists like Richard Dawkins will say, nobody knows how life began, because there's no natural way of explaining it at this point, okay? Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. So whenever you come across data, you got to realize that all data needs to be gathered and all data needs to be interpreted. Now, here's the question. How do you interpret the fact that the evidence seems to point out that there was a beginning to the universe? There was also fine-tuning of the universe and fine-tuning of the laws of physics. Also, we're assuming there's cause and effect because we see that wherever we go, every effect has a cause. That's what science is built on. We also know that there's consciousness and there's life that has consciousness. We also know that there's objective morality, that it's really true that it's wrong to torture babies for fun. It's wrong to murder people. It's wrong to treat people with disrespect if they're made in the image and likeness of God. Also, there are laws of logic and reason. In fact, if we say there are not laws of logic and reason, we're using those laws to say that. It's self-defeating to say they don't exist. Now, keep in mind here, I'm going somewhere with this. I'm asking you, what is the cause of all these things? How about the laws of mathematics? Way back in 1961, Eugene Wigner wrote a book called, or wrote a paper called, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics. Why can we describe the universe in 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 the language of math? If there's not a mind behind this universe, that would seem to be a very happy coincidence that can't be explained. (laughs) In fact, the laws of mathematics themselves, where do they come from? How about intelligence? Where does intelligence come from? Look, at the end of the day, there's only two possibilities. Either mind gave rise to matter or matter gave rise to mind. In other words, what is the what is ultimate reality? Is it matter or mind? Well, matter had a beginning. Matter is dumb by itself. It seems like mind is is the ultimate foundation of all things, which gave rise to matter. How about personality? Where does personality come from? There are so many different personalities, so many different people. Everybody's unique in their personality. Where does that come from if everything is driven just completely by natural laws? How about Old Testament prophecy? How about the evidence for the resurrection? What is the best explanation of all this? Where do we, what theory will have the proper explanatory power and scope to explain all of this. It's certainly not atheism. It's certainly not that there is no God. It's certainly not that everything's made of molecules. Many of the things I just listed here aren't made of molecules. In fact, molecules had a beginning, according to the evidence. Something beyond molecules, something beyond physics, metaphysics, we'll get to it after the break. I'm Frank Turk. you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. On the American Family Radio Network, we're back in two minutes. You know, last week, well, actually two weeks ago, last week, a great uh, podcast from my friend Elisa Childers on progressive Christianity. If you haven't heard that, go and listen to that because it's coming to a church near you, unfortunately. And the week before that, I did the podcast regarding Robbie Zacharias, the Robbie Zacharias scandal and the truth of Christianity. Do you know that that podcast on YouTube, which is not where most people watch podcasts, uh, they watch it or they listen to it quite obviously on iTunes and other places, that podcast on YouTube has had 10 times as many views as just about any other one we've done. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are we so intrigued with scandal? We could do a podcast on the truth of Christianity, which we're doing right now, and a podcast about a man who fell from grace and was a sinner and was a charlatan gets 10 times as many views as what's the most important thing. And that is, is that Christianity is true. In fact, I spent a lot of time actually in that podcast pointing out. That what Robbie did actually couldn't be wrong unless something like Christianity was true. Because if there is no God, there is no such thing as right or wrong. Everything's a matter of opinion, and you can't condemn Robbie for any of his uh, behavior. So it's just interesting to me. It's like when when we pass somebody on the road and they have a flat tire, we just zoom right by. But man, if there's a wreck, we're slowing down rubberneck and going, oh, look at that. Why is that? Why are we intrigued when evil occurs? Why are we intrigued when bad things happen? Why are we intrigued when somebody is exposed as a hypocrite? Says something about our nature, doesn't it? I mean, I'm not exempting myself from this. I'm just pointing out it's just human nature that we tend to do that. So, oh, let me also point out that we have a brand new course that's starting on on, on I think it's March 30th. The Book of Romans. I'll be your instructor. We're going through it in 19 one-hour lessons. And if you take the if you take the premium version, you'll I'll be your instructor live on Zoom. I think on about 10 different occasions. We're going to do Q and A at uh, 10 different times. And if you sign up by March 8th, which is just around the corner here, you can get uh, I think 25% off or something. Just go to uh, just go to to uh, crossexamine.org. Cross examine with a D on the on the end of it. And click on online courses. You'll see it there. All right, let me uh, go back to what we were talking about just before the break. I mentioned the beginning of the universe, the design of the universe, the laws of physics, cause and effect, life and consciousness, objective morality, the laws of logic and reason, the laws of mathematics, intelligence, personality, Old Testament prophecy, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's my question: What what is the probability we would have all of this evidence if God did not exist? And what is the probability we would have this evidence if Jesus did not rise from the dead? And I'll I'll get to a little bit of evidence for the resurrection here in a minute. In fact, what is the probability we would have evidence for anything if this universe was not the product of a mind? Because this universe is orderly. Things happen for a reason. There's cause and effect. Natural laws, the laws of nature are fine-tuned. We're going to get into it here in a second. They're precise. Why? Why? What best explains this? In other words, again, instead of just looking at the evidence saying, "Okay, does this evidence point to God? You could also look at it from the other side of it and say, would we even have this evidence if there wasn't a God and probability theorists who do this, plug this into their equations, you know, Bayesian probability theory and all that. We're not going to get into it here, but. Mm The likelihood of something happening or something being true based on probability theory also includes the factor that says, what is the probability we would have all this evidence if the question that we're trying to discover or the cause we're trying to discover did not exist? Why would we have all this evidence if God did not exist? Why would we have all this evidence for the resurrection if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? So, you can look at it that way. Let's talk about fine tuning for a minute. There's two kinds of fine tuning there's the fine tuning of the universe in its initial conditions and its current conditions. And there's also the fine tuning of the biological information in life. Let's talk about both. We'll talk about in life to begin with. Do you know that in every one of your 40 trillion or so cells, there's a program that's about 3.2 billion letters long. All the letters are in the right order. Save a mutation here or there. We've never seen a program come from anything other than a programmer. We've never seen a message come from anything other than a mind. I mean, if you get a text from somebody and it says, hi, how are you? Love mom or love dad. You, you know that message couldn't have been randomly generated by, your, by the, the person's iPhone. That message points towards intelligence. The same thing is true with what's in every one of your 40 trillion cells, the genome, the digital code, except it's a lot longer than, hi, how are you? Love mom or dad. It's 3.2 billion letters long. That appears to be the product of a mind. And the attributes of our universe appear to be the product of a mind as well. From the very beginning, as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now, in the podcast entitled, Does Extraordinary, Do Extraordinary Claims Require Extraordinary Evidence? We pointed out that the expansion rate of the universe, if it were, if it were different by one part in a thousand million million, we wouldn't even have a universe or a universe that could support life. And that was Stephen Hawking, he was an atheist. He admitted that. So the fine-tuning of the universe comprises two things. Um, It's not just the fine-tuning for life, that's one aspect of it, but unless we had certain aspects or properties of our universe fine-tuned, we wouldn't even have a universe at all, much less a universe with life. The expansion rate is one of the factors. And let me just give you a scenario. Let's suppose you're playing poker with somebody, and uh, it turns out that your opponent gets a royal flush. You thought you had a good hand, but the opponent got a royal flush. Now, any hand you get in poker, let's just say it's five-card poker, any hand you get in poker is going to be equally improbable. Any hand in a five-card poker is one chance in 649,739. Any hand is that improbable. But of course, a royal flush is a targeted hand, right? And I see atheists trying to dispute the fine tuning argument by saying, well, any set of conditions is equally improbable. Well, yeah, that's true. But it turns out, in order for this universe to exist and this universe with life, It's like getting a royal flush 100 times in a row because it's a targeted set of conditions. It's not just any condition. So to get one royal flush is one chance in 649,739. How likely is it for you to get two royal flushes in a row? Are you ready? It's one chance in 422 billion, 160,768,121. Now, if we put that in scientific notation, that would be one chance in four to the 11th power. Actually, not quite that good, but one chance in four with 11 zeros following it. Are you with me? Okay. Now, let me just take one factor about the universe that appears to be fine-tuned, and that's the gravitational force. The gravitational force is fine-tuned to one in 10 to the 40th power. That's one chance in one with 40 zeros following it. Again, the chance you're going to get two royal flushes in a row is one in four with 11 zeros following it, the chance you're going to get the gravitational force it, for what it needs to be for us to have a universe, and universe with life, is one chance in one with 40 zeros. You can't even, can't, you can't even comprehend that number. I can't. I'll, I'll give you an illustration. Take a tape measure and stretch it across the entire known universe. That's a long way. Set the gravitational force at a particular inch mark on that tape measure. I realize gravity is not measured in inches, but this is just to give you a scale idea in your mind. If you were to move the strength of gravity one inch in either direction across a scale as wide as the entire known universe, we wouldn't be here. That's one in 10 to the 40th precision. I don't have enough faith to believe that that happened without intelligence. Look, there's only two possibilities. That value is where it is, because somebody designed it to be there, or nobody designed it to be there. It just happened. What's more reasonable? What's more reasonable if if the guy you're playing poker with gets 10 royal flushes in a row and he's dealing? What's more reasonable he's cheating, right? What if he just says, well, I lack a belief I'm cheating? (laughs) You would go, I don't lack a belief you're cheating because the evidence is pointing out the fact that you are. What if he says, well, no, this just happened by natural causes. You'd say, no, the evidence doesn't support that. What if he says, no, multiple universes? There are so many universes out there that we just happen to be in the one where I get 10 royal flushes in a row by chance. You're going to say, no, that doesn't cut it either. That's an extraordinary claim that you're getting 10 royal flushes in a row without cheating, but you have no evidence for it. It's an extraordinary claim with no evidence and atheism is awash with extraordinary claims with no evidence. That a universe could come from nothing by nothing. Extraordinary claim, no evidence. That life can come from non-life without intelligence. That a a 3.2 billion letter genetic code can come into existence without intelligence. Extraordinary claim, no evidence. That this universe could be so fine-tuned. And by the way, this is just one of the dozen or so factors that are fine-tuned in this way. If you do a if you add them all up, it's impossible to, to expect that this universe doesn't have intelligence behind it. Yet they're saying, well, fine-tuning is, is uh, just explained by the multi-universe theory, the multiple universe theory. There's no evidence for multiple universes. You're just making it up. You're, you're, you're just assuming it's true. There's no evidence for it. There's so much more that we could talk about here. But can you see it's not the Christians that are making extraordinary claims and therefore require extraordinary evidence. And by the way, you got to go back to the previous podcast to unpack this further, because I explain what all this means with regard to extraordinary. It's the atheists that are making these extraordinary claims and don't have any evidence for it. You say, what about miracles? How can we believe in miracles? Didn't David Hume say miracles don't occur because we have a uniform experience against them? Yeah, he said that. But that's actually a bias. In fact, it's a bias against the supernatural. And this is what happens quite frequently in science. There's already a bias against intelligence. There's a bias against any being that could somehow be the cause of anything we're seeing here in the real world, in the natural world. And we're going to unpack that when we come back from the break. you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. crossexamined with a D on the end of it. We have an app, too, you ought to avail yourselves of. It's free. Two words in the app store, crossexamine. It has a quick answer section on there that I think you'll like. It has our podcast TV show. Check it out. We're back in two. Welcome back. We're talking about this idea that can there be a murder without a murderer? Can there be murder without a cause? Can there be a universe without a cause? Can there be fine tuning without a cause? Can there be, say, the laws of nature without a cause? Can there be the laws of mathematics, the laws of logic? Can there be the laws of morality without an external cause beyond human beings? We've argued on this show many times, no. And many atheists will agree with that. That's why they say morality is all subjective. But the second you treat them immorally, they go, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. You ought not do that. (laughs) They have all these moral claims that they're trying to put forth in the government. This is right. This is wrong. LGBTQ rights, trans rights, all wherever. There's no rights to anything if there's no God. It's just your opinion. But anyway, let's go back to, uh, let's go back to, uh, well, no, hang on, hang on. I got to go. I I, want to cover something that. haven't covered yet. Uh, I'm going to talk about miracles here in just a minute, but let me deal with this issue of, uh, if I can find it here, I had it here. Yeah, where is it? Man, oh, here you go, here you go, here you go. Um, People will say, well, evolution can explain morality. Evolution? How does a How does a mutating genetic code have the capacity or the authority to tell you what to do? Uh, It doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. They're saying, oh, no, you misunderstand, Frank. We mean that evolution has given you the intuition that torturing babies for fun, but it's not really wrong. It's just an intuition. Well, look, if evolution has given us these intuitions, that would mean that evolution's given us all of our thoughts, including the thought that evolution's given us our intuition. So, why should we believe that's true? You see, it's a self defeating position because it just doesn't affect morality. It affects all of our thoughts as well. And this is true if materialism is true, right? If we're completely controlled by the laws of physics, then why should we believe any thought we have is true? If we can't follow the evidence where it leads because we have a free will mind and not just a brain, then why should we believe anything we think, including the thought that atheism is true? So that doesn't work either. And I covered this at de- in depth in uh, the in the book, Stealing from God, if you want to go further. But let me go back to uh, David Hume and Miracles, because David Hume said miracles don't occur because we have a uniform experience against them. We don't see miracles. We just see natural laws happening over and over again. And here's what C.S. Lewis said to that. And of course, C.S. Lewis said everything well. He said, now, of course, we must agree with Hume that if there is absolutely, quote, uniform experience against miracles, if, in other words, they have never happened, why then? they had, They never have. Unfortunately, we know the experience against them to be uniform only if we know that all the reports of them are false. And we can know all the reports to be false only if we know already that miracles have never occurred. In fact, we are arguing in a circle. That's what Hume is doing. He's arguing in a circle. That's exactly what he's doing. And here, for atheism to be true, ladies and gentlemen, every spiritual experience and every miracle claim in the history of the universe has to be false. Is that possible? Well, I suppose it's possible. Is that reasonable? No. It takes more faith to believe that. And it seems to me, and we cover this and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, it seems to me that Hume is actually punishing miracles because they're rare events. When in fact, the only way a miracle would get our attention to say, hey, this is a special act of God would be if it was a rare event. I mean, if miracles occurred all the time, they wouldn't point necessarily back to God. I mean, imagine if resurrections occurred routinely. What would the resurrection of Christ mean to us? Nothing. You know, somebody comes up to you and... Or you go up to somebody and you say, Hey, Jesus rose from the dead for your sins. And the guy goes, So what? Uncle Leroy just rose from the dead two weeks ago. Now I got to give the inheritance back. You know, I mean, if miracles were routine, they wouldn't be miracles and they wouldn't get our attention as special acts of God. But the very fact that they're rare, the very fact that the resurrection is rare, is a unique sign that God is at work. Because if resurrections occurred routinely, it wouldn't be a unique sign that God is doing something special. Now, I actually think that natural laws operating the way they do so precisely and so consistently is evidence for a mind, is evidence for God, because this orderly universe wouldn't be orderly and we wouldn't have reliable cause and effect unless it was the product of a mind, but that's a whole nother issue. I'm simply pointing out that to say that miracles have never occurred because we have a uniform experience against them is to beg the question How do you know there's a uniform experience against them? Have you interviewed everybody in the universe exhaustively? No, of course you haven't. Is there evidence that there are miracles? Yeah. In fact, there's evidence today that there are. My friend Craig Keener has a two volume set on it called Miracles. It's a hernia inducing set if you really want to get into it. Uh, but even if there were no miracles today, that doesn't mean there weren't miracles in the past. And I think we have good evidence that there are miracles and they did occur. So this is why, by the way, that let's go back to the point I made earlier that science doesn't say anything scientists do, that all data needs to be gathered, all data needs to be interpreted. This is why sometimes when you think you have a scientific consensus, you don't really have a scientific consensus based on the evidence. You have a scientific consensus based on the bias against the miraculous because they've already decided that miracles don't occur. It was Richard Lewontin who said, The reason that we don't believe in the supernatural is because we can't let a divine foot in the door. You see, Lewontin, being a materialist, said as soon as we admit the possibility that miracles could occur, then the gig is up. Materialism's false. And so they're assuming materialism's true, not proving it's true. And in fact, to approve materialism's true, you couldn't prove it. Why? Because you would need to have a mind that wasn't completely driven by the laws of physics, so you could come to that conclusion rationally rather than coming to the conclusion based on the laws of physics. In order to, in other words, in order to prove materialism is true, materialism would have to be false because you need a free will mind, which materialism denies to arrive at valid conclusions about materialism. I know they can give you intellectual constipation, but that's just the way things are. Now, if you look at the moral argument, and I know I'm jumping around. No, I can't look at the moral argument yet. I'm trying to, ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to do too much in this one podcast. We're going to have to finish this. I thought I could finish it today. I can't. I thought I'd have time to get into the resurrection. I don't. There's so much evidence here that we, I'm trying to cram in and forgive me, we're just going to have to come back to it later. Uh, but let me, uh, let me talk uh another minute about miracles and the bias against them in the world of science. Uh, When you have a bias against miracles, now let me put it another way. I think when you're doing a scientific experiment or scientific investigation, you should always look for natural causes first. But if two conditions are met, you have not found a natural cause and critically there's positive evidence pointing toward intelligence then you could at least be open to an intelligent cause. You just can't say, because I haven't found a natural cause yet, there is no natural cause. That's, that would be guilty of God of the gaps reasoning. But if there is no natural cause and the effect you're looking at looks like it was, or look at, looks like it has evidence for an intelligent being, like a program or like a message, you know, hi, son, hi, daughter, it's me, mom, I'm here. If you have positive evidence for an intelligent cause, then you can at least be open to the fact that the effect you're seeing was caused by intelligence. Well, it turns out that intelligent design or Christianity is not a science stopper. Atheism is. Why? Because atheists for many years, and even some Christians, even some Christian people who are evolutionists, thought that much of the code that is in every one of your 40 trillion cells was what's called junk DNA. Only 2% of your DNA codes for proteins. They thought the other 98% was junk left over from the trial and error process of natural selection that gave us our DNA. Uh, Intelligent design theorists were saying, no, this looks like it's the product of intelligence. And they realized that the non-coding regions of DNA, the 98%, that don't code for proteins, actually, that region is actually doing something in your body. In fact, they, for example, that non-coding region will turn things on and off in your cells. And so intelligent design theorists are thinking, wow, if this non-coding region can turn things on and off in our cells, in fact, if this non-coding region um, actually controls what a cell does, maybe if we could get into this non-coding region we could turn things on and off in the cell and maybe even cure cancer i mean if we could turn off cancer cells we could cure cancer right so all the intelligent design people are investigating the non-coding region to try and discover a cure for cancer while the evolutionists are going now that's just junk dna that was just uh, that's just trial and error of natural selection what's the science stopper here the science stopper here is assuming intelligence isn't part of the effect The people who are open to intelligence are actually trying to find a cure for cancer by looking through what isn't junk DNA. It's the non-coding region. And it is actually performing functions in your cells. So this obviously goes counter to what you hear in the culture that, oh, it's just those intelligent design people or those creationists out there or those Christians who are stopping science. No, they're not stopping science at all. They're the ones that are actually pursuing the evidence where the evidence leads. And in fact, uh, my friend Stephen Meyer, who, as you know, has written some great books on science and evolution. Uh, We're going to have him on the program here shortly because his brand new book, The God Hypothesis, is coming out very soon. I have an advanced copy of it. I'm going through it right now. And I'll tell you, uh, Meyer does a great job of pointing out how not only were the sciences founded by Christians, the sciences only make sense if there's a mind behind the universe. And then he points out the evidence we have for this. Some of it we've just touched on briefly here. The evidence from cosmology, the evidence from biology, the evidence uh, that from uh, these areas of fine-tuning in biology and in the universe, we actually have evidence for a personal God. And so we'll have him on here shortly to discuss that. So keep an eye out for that. But in any event, we're about out of time here. I wanna re- re-emphasize, oh, if you're listening to this before the uh, Saturday, the 6th of March, I'm in Little Rock, Arkansas at a youth conference. Check our website, crossexamine.org. If you're in that area, would love to see you. And next week, I'm gonna be down in Georgia at Influencers Church near Atlanta, Check the website out for that. And I hope, Lord willing, I'll see you here next week. God bless. See you next time.